Hi. And I saw I suspect that a number of a number of you uh have were participating in our Tosca thirty thirty uh earlier, so thank you for staying on. We have over a hundred people that stayed on. So this is our first Reach thirty thirty program. Um, and uh, why reach? Well, I mean, it's very important uh, chemical legislation, particularly interesting to me. I've been involved in uh, reach uh, since the organization of the white paper in 2001, uh, very heavily involved in the legislative process uh, from uh, 2006, 2006 until entry into force in June 2017, and I've been sort of advising clients day to day on reach matters uh, for the last uh, decade. Uh, and in fact, I uh, at one time I was shuffling back and forth between here and our Brussels office. Uh, and I still do that somewhat, but not as frequently. Next slide. I'm Herbert Stryker. Next slide. So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, I try to pick some timely uh, topics for you. I mean, this Reach 3030 is not intended to be a program that tells you, uh, you know, how to register polymers. Uh, that's not what this is about. This is basically a kind of a select topics that'll be picked every time we have this program. And what I decided to pick this time are three topics. One is the uh, the British government, UK government, uh, issued a notice on what will happen to chemical reg regulation in the UK if uh, once if and once uh, the UK uh, leaves the European Union, Brexit, and if it turns out that there is no deal uh, between the UK and uh, and the European Union. So the no deal scenario. So they issued a notice. We'll talk about that. Second topic today is we're going to talk about recent uh, European uh, uh, Chemical Agency ECHA Board of Appeals decisions. We'll talk about the board a little bit and some recent decisions. And then we will talk about... Then we will talk about... Uh, consultations for public comment that ECHA now has posted on their website. Um, next slide. So the UK notice on if there's no Brexit deal. So this was issued by the UK Department of Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs, which is the umbrella agency uh, for environmental regulation in the UK. And it was issued on October 1st. And it was, it, the intent of the notice was to explain how UK chemical companies would be affected if the UK leaves the European Union in March 2019, which is now the deadline for exit, uh, with no deal in place uh, between the UK and uh, the European Union. Now, how likely it is it that we'll have a no deal scenario? I can't say. Uh, you know, if you, you you know there are articles in the newspaper every day about the negotiations between Prime Minister May and the European Union officials. So I can't say whether there'll be a no deal, but there certainly is no deal in place now, right? So that much we know. So, but the UK government says the negotiations are progressing well, and both we and the European Union continue to work hard to seek a positive deal. However, it's our duty as a responsible government to prepare for all eventualities, including no deal, until we can be certain of the outcome of those negotiations. And the take-home message from my presentation is that if, you are, if this is important to you and you have business in the UK, 
or you have set up a legal entity in the UK to transact EU-wide business for you, then I would say it is your duty as responsible stakeholders to prepare for a potential no-deal scenario. Next slide, please. So what will the UK uh, uh, agree to do? What do they agree to do if there is no deal after Brexit? Well, they plan to ensure that UK legislation replaces EU chemical legislation by their, uh, the statute that they will have in place for the EU Withdrawal Act. They plan to establish a UK regulatory framework uh, and to build uh, domestic capacity to deliver the functions currently performed by ECHA, which is, I mentioned, the European Chemical Agency, and they are the European EU institution that administers REACH, as well as the CLP, as well as the Biosolid Product Regulation, as well as the Prior Informed Consent Regulation. So UK says, we'll have a framework in place. It will replace these European instruments, and we will set up a UK regulatory framework and agencies to administer our UK framework, then it'll parallel what ECHA does in the European Union. In terms of chemical legislation, the UK government says that the legislation will preserve reach as far as possible while making technical changes that would need to be made because the UK has left the European Union. All very sensible. Uh, they have designated the health and safety executive, which if you have any dealings in the UK on chemicals, you know that is currently uh, the agency that's responsible for chemical legislation, chemical management in the UK, and they will be designated as the lead UK regulatory authority from the day that uh, the UK leaves the European Union. Uh, they will set up a UK IT system. They say that it's similar uh, to the existing uh, REACH IT system that ECHA maintains, the European Chemical Agency maintains. So th their contemplation will be very similar to REACH IT, but it will be a UK IT system. And interestingly, if uh, the UK leaves the European Union with no deal, uh, then they will not be, uh, it would not be necessary for them to uh, be committed to any sort of medium or long-term regulatory alignment with the European economic area. By the way, EEA, that means the 28 member states of the European Union plus Norway, Liechtenstein, and uh, well, next, uh, okay, next, next slide. Next slide. Uh, okay, what will the UK government do to ensure continuity, continued access to UK markets? Uh, well, they say they plan basically to grandfather REACH registrations into their new UK registration system. So if you have, if you're a UK company or a UK OR for a US company or a UK subsidiary of a US company, then and you have a REACH registration for chemical, well, the UK government will grandfather that registration into their system. So there's no disruption of your ability uh, to manufacture chemicals in the UK or to import chemicals into the UK. Very good idea. They also plan to set up a transitional light touch notification process for UK companies importing chemicals from the EEA that don't hold a REACH registration at the time that the UK leaves the EU. So basically a short form postcard type 
um, uh, process for UK chemical companies to continue doing business once the UK leaves the European Union. Uh, and then authorizations, they deal with that as well. We've been talking about registration. As you know, authorizations is the program under reach where chemicals that are substances of very high concern and they're listed on Annex 14, which is the reach authorization list, you basically have to apply for authorization to continue manufacturing or using those chemicals. It's, it's essentially a licensing scheme. Uh, the UK has announced that if you hold an authorization in Europe, UK company, or uh, which could include a UK only representative of a US company or UK subsidiary of a US company, <coughs> well, then you will be able to, that'll again also be grandfathered into the UK system. Next slide, please. Kind of a busy slide, but let me let me sort of go through uh, this step by step, and you can read about you can read this slide uh, on the website. We'll be posting the slides as well as a recording of this presentation, and so you can read it at your leisure. Uh, but basically, um, if you have an existing, if you're a UK company, you have an existing reach registration. As I mentioned, that'll be automatically grandfathered into the UK system. Same thing for registrations as well as authorizations. Uh, you basically will simply have to open a account in the new, new UK IT system and provide some basic information uh, to the health and safety executive within 60 days of the UK leaving the EU. So basically, you need to sign up into the UK IT system to maintain your existing EU reach and uh, registrations and authorizations. Now, you're grandfathered, however, that doesn't mean it's the end of the day for you. And, that's, and here's the rub. They say that within two uh, years after uh, Brexit, you'll have to provide the health and safety exec executive with the full data package that supports the original EU registration and is held on the IT system. Now, the interesting question there, which is unresolved, is let's say, for example, you are a co-registrant, UK company or co-registrants, you don't hold the actual health and safety data that's held by a lead registrant that's sitting, let's say, in Germany. All you have on file with ECHA is your co-registrant uh, dossier, which basically says who you are, what your uses are, what your tonnage is, and provides spectral data. Is that going to be sufficient? Or does the UK government mean with the full data package that supports their original EU registration, that you're going to have to, within two years, supply the health and safety data uh, to uh, establish uh, that the chemical is safe. I'd be very surprised if all they're looking for is the simple administrative dossier that a co-registrant submits. But we'll see how that plays out. Uh, next slide. They, they intend to have, or they announced they will have special arrangements with Ireland, the Ireland of Ireland, uh, as well as the three countries uh, within the EEA that are not part of the EU, Norway, Liechtenstein, and the one that I couldn't remember was Iceland. And so why, well, why Ireland? Obvious reasons. Uh, UK, uh, part of the UK is Northern Ireland. There's a close relationship between Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland, and so therefore Republic of Ireland. And so, therefore, a special uh, arrangement with Ireland makes sense. 
why Norway, Iceland, and Liechtenstein? Well, because they're not EU countries, and they're not bound. Uh, there's no prohibition on those three countries entering into trade deals with a third country. It doesn't have to be EU trade deal. So it's possible for the UK to have a special arrangement with those three countries. Next slide, please. I'll talk a little bit about switching gears, the ECA Board of Appeals. So the Board of Appeals is established under REACH legislation. It's also uh, provisions made for it under uh, the Biocide Product Regulation. Uh, but it is a uh, Board of Appeals. It has authority to decide appeals uh, against certain decisions of the ECA, taken under both the REACH regulation and the Biocide Products Regulation. And the appeals include things like uh, failures during uh, completeness check under Article 20 of REACH, test proposal decisions under Article 41 of REACH, compliance check decisions under Article 41.3 of REACH, substance evaluation decisions, which are the CORAP, Community Rolling Action Plan decisions, where a member state asks for more information on a chemical that they're doing a risk assessment on, decisions by the ECHA to grant or deny access to data to potential registrants, so if you've ever been in a data dispute with a uh, data owner and you lodge a data dispute with the European Chemical Agency and they decide that the data owner has not been negotiating in good faith, they will give the, uh, the successful party free access to the animal data. And but the, uh, the data owner can appeal those decisions to the European Chemical Agency Board of Appeals. The interesting thing about appeals before the Board of Appeals is they have suspensive effect, which means if there's a decision that orders you to do a test in two years, if you lodge an appeal, even if you lose, uh, you may not have to do the study for, uh, for uh, let's say you get a delay of two years. So it has suspensive effect. It's a very, very important part of the appeal process under reach. Uh, Board of Appeals is part of ECHA, uh, but it takes its decisions independently. I think the most interesting thing for me is that the Board of Appeals has three members, two are lawyers, one's a scientist. And so there's the only decision-making body, appeal appellate body that I'm aware of anywhere in the world that has a scientist sitting there. So it's a very, very interesting board. Uh, and the Board of Appeals is assisted in the performance of its functions uh, by the registry. Next slide, please. Um, so if you know anything about Europe, Maybe some, there are some people from Europe on the line here. They're certainly not as litigious as we are in the U.S., no question about it. However, oddly enough, uh, with respect to Board of Appeal cases, they're very popular in Europe. And so there have now been, in the last 10 years or so, 113 cases that have been lodged before the Board of Appeals, which I think is a remarkable number. Uh, 91 of these have gone to final decisions. Uh, and 22 of these decisions have dismissed the appeal, 25 have upheld the appeal. Uh, dismissing means basically that the appellate or the registrant was determined by the board uh, not to have valid grounds for whatever it was it wanted. Uh, upholding the appeal means that the uh, registrant was determined by the board to have valid grounds for at least some portion of what they wanted. Now, most importantly, most interesting, 44 cases have resulted in withdrawal because ECHA basically is settled. And so a lot of times if you file an appeal and you have to file, lodge an appeal within three months of the decision, 
and they're not terribly expensive. Uh, well, they're lawyers, but you don't have to have a lawyer uh, do them for you. And a lot of companies maybe don't use lawyers. Uh, but the uh, the fee you pay the board is 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 fairly small. I think it's six thousand or seven thousand euro. Uh, so you lodge an appeal. Uh, you um, you follow a, a brief, opening brief called the appellate brief, and then it looks like half of the time the ECHA will say, okay, we realize we made a mistake, and we, there's no need to litigate this any further, and uh, they'll rectify the decision. So looks like that's happening about half of the time, which is quite remarkable. And so if you feel that you have a good, uh, that ECHA made a mistake and you have not been able to convince them otherwise before you get to the final decision stage, and sometimes there are not enough opportunities to really sort of convince the ECHA or the member state committee, which is comprised of the competent authorities of the different member states, that what they want doesn't make any sense. That could certainly happen. I mean, there have been decisions that have issued where ECHA has asked companies to do long-term chronic animal testing on substances that are corrosive, on substances that actually don't really exist in reality, that they, when they, once they hit water, they can transform into something else. Uh, and so mistakes like that are made periodically. And so people brought it, you know, and have not been able to convince the ECHA or the member state committee, uh, maybe because they, you know, missed opportunities to comment uh, or whatever. Uh, they couldn't get to Helsinki in time for the member state committee meeting. Um, whatever, uh, if you launch an appeal, it looks like you have a 50% shot of, uh, of working this thing out. Next, next slide. Um, I want to talk about a couple of decisions. I'm running out of time. Um, there are three that came recently. One is uh, the Reach Check Solutions, solutions uh, case, uh, and that was an interesting case. So if you, uh, there, if you have registration, there are lead registrants, there are co-registrants. Uh, if you're a uh, co-registrant, you basically want to buy a letter of access to, from the data owner, the lead registrant. Uh, once you pay for the letter of access, you get something called a token, and that's a string of numbers, and that allows you to go into the European Chemical Agency IT system and join the joint registration. Okay. So what happens if you decide, you're a co-registrant, and you're going to opt out of all the data that's in the lead registrant dossier? happens on occasion. Uh, and so all you need is the token. You don't need any data. There's no need for you to do data sharing with the agency. Uh, you know, what happens? Uh, well, you have to, you know, it, it seemed you would approach the lead registrant and then negotiate for access to the token. In this case, involved a lead registrant which asked for a fair amount of money for a token, even though they weren't selling any data. Uh, and the uh, negotiations broke down. The uh, potential registrant went to the ECHA to complain, and the ECHA gave them the token. So this is an interesting case. Um, now, the board actually technically dismissed the case because they found the case inadmissible because the question of token release wasn't one of the provisions on the reach <coughs> that the board had jurisdiction. But they actually made a couple of interesting points. Uh, they said that uh, potential registrants can bypass the lead registrant, and they can ask ECHA directly for the token, in a complete opt-out situation. And they also pointed out, which is clear, that if you do a full opt-out, you have your own dossier, you're not relying on the lead registrant dossier, you can expect that your dossier will be picked for compliance check, for assessment. Next slide. Okay, second uh, interesting case that's worth talking about 
uh, is the SI Group uh, UK Limited case, which actually was handled by this firm. Uh, my partner, Mark, uh, Novice, uh, Marcus Naman-Jones, won that case. Uh, and that's a case in the context of substance evaluation. Remember, the two types of evaluation under each. One is compliance check, which is called dossier evaluation, and substance evaluation, which is where the CORAP, Community uh, Rolling Action Plan, uh, where a uh, member state or the ECA picks a chemical because they have potential concerns to do an in-depth risk assessment. And as part of that, they may issue a decision ordering the registrants to supply more information on the chemical. And so this came up in the context of uh, uh, monomer registrants and uh, actually was nonafidol toxylates. And the question on the table was, you know, could the ECA order uh, the registrant of monomers to get information from their downstream customers. And the board held no, they couldn't do that uh, because uh, there was no, no guarantee that the red, monomer registrants could get that information from their customers. And since there was no guarantee, then they couldn't legally be required to provide information which they had no control of whether or not it would be provided by their customers. Next slide, please. There are a line of cases involving the cosmetic regulation, um, and the issue there is, as you know, there's a ban on animal testing uh, for cosmetic ingredients under cosmetic regulation. Animal testing is frequently required in the REACH context. There's already a case from the European Court of Justice uh, which says that in the case of dual-use substances, where it has both REACH uses and non-REACH uses, you can do animal testing provided that the cosmetic companies do not use that animal, the results of those animal tests to do a safety assessment on a cosmetic. So we know the answer in dual-use substances, but what about cosmetic-only substances? And so there are a line of cases involving cosmetic-only substances, and there's still a lot of learning to be gleaned from these cases. One is pending, but based on the first case, the board said that the ECHA had to uh, explain uh, the interface between the cosmetic regulation ban on animal testing and the reach data requirements, which it didn't do in its in its uh, compliance check decision for the for the cosmetic only ingredient in the first case. Second case was uh, decided on the grounds, but there now is a third case, uh, the Simrise AG case A010218, uh, which is now pending, and so we hope to see fairly soon some additional learning from the board about this whole question of animal testing of cosmetics on the reach. Next slide, please. There are a number of ECHA consultations. Uh, very active. You know, if you, uh, uh, there's something called Registry of Intentions that, uh, that's on the ECHA website. You know, you could spend, um, I don't know if I've ever seen this, but, you know, a great reach course is, is not a bunch of slides. It'd be somebody actually just putting up the reach ECHA the ECHO REACH website and going through link by link to show you what's in there. I think that would be a great course. I mean, I think that could be a full two-day course. Uh, but uh, maybe boring, but still a full two-day course. But in any event, uh, they have lots of consultations, public consultations. They have consultations all the time. Uh, you know, some people feel that they don't really pay attention to public comment, but they certainly have lots of consultations. So in any event, there's one open, which I want to make sure people are aware of. It's the bisphenol A. Uh, recommendation for inclusion on the Annex 14 authorization list. As I mentioned before, authorization is kind of a licensing program. You have to get permission to manufacture and use, uh, use a chemical that's on Annex 14. 
chemicals under Act 14 are called substances of very high concern. They could be mutagens, carcinogens, reproductive toxins, endocrine disruptors, respiratory sensitizers, or, or things of that nature. Uh, so ECHA has proposed to list bisphenol A on the basis of both human health effects and environmental effects, and that's important, because the exemption, as you know, bisphenol A is heavily used in food contact materials. The exemption from authorization for food contact uses only applies if the basis for listing is based on human health effects. And since ECHA is proposed to list BPA also for environmental effects, then that exemption would not apply. Uh, so food contact materials would be subject to the authorization if the Annex 14 listing goes through. Uh, there's another opportunity for exemption called Article 58.2. Next slide. And I will leave this for you for your reading because I'm running out of time. But bottom line is very tough to get to sustain an Article 58.2 exemption has not yet happened. Next slide. What's the implications? Well, if this all goes through and this penal is listed on Act 14, there will be a uh, sunset date when it can no longer be placed on the market in the European Union, and that would be for bisphenol A or mixtures containing bisphenol A uh, at 0.1% or more. Um, uh, and that will be the sunset date unless you've applied, or someone in your supply chain has applied for authorization, which is a very expensive and complicated process. So that would be for bisphenol A or its mixtures that are placed on the EEA market Good news is this would not apply to imported articles. However, uh, there is a possibility that imported food contact materials that contain bisphenol A could be subject to restriction. In fact, the legislation contemplates <coughs> that for substances that are under, under authorization, imported articles should be eventually covered by restriction. So uh, you're, even if you're importing the food contact material into Europe, don't consider yourself to be safe forever, there may be restriction, uh, and imported resins uh, would also not be covered by authorization, but still a restriction would be possible. So if you are involved in bisphenol A or the food contact business, shipping things into Europe, or you have company, or you have um, um, uh, UK affiliates that are making things using bisphenol A, then you need to be mindful of all this. The deadline for commenting is December 5th, 2018. Next slide. I list here some other uh, open consultations. There are lots of them. I give you links here for the various types of consultations. This is available, really available on the website. The links will be available to you. Next slide, please. Okay, our next OSHA 3030 is October 24th. Our next REACH 3030 is November 14th. Um, our next fifth of 3030 is, uh, uh, will be scheduled sometime. Uh, next slide, please. So I'm Herbert Stryker. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to be in Europe next month, so there will be no November Reach 3030. There will be a Tosca 3030 with a different speaker, which I assume you, I know you're all relieved about that. Uh, but the next Reach 3030 will be on December 12th at 1.35 p.m., five minutes after the Tosca 3030 program that same day. And I actually made it exactly on time. So REACH 3030 does hold up to its name. I want to thank you for participating. I know you all have lots of questions. Uh, you know, but anyway, take care, everybody. Have a great day.